Father in heaven, we indeed walk by faith, not by sight. And so we pray that you would help us to, to not only believe with our hearts, but to put that faith, that, that belief to action in our lives each and every day, especially in a world that ever increasingly needs to hear more about you and your love, a world that needs to hear the unabashed, unvarnished truth about who you are and what you have done. Father, we pray, help us as your children to remain faithful and to live and to walk in that faith every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith. What is it? It's a hard thing sometimes to explain. I like to say that faith is the handle that grabs a hold of the whole basket full of God's promises. That what God delivers to us in His Word we grab a hold of by faith. It is the ability to trust that what God says is true for our lives, even when we can't see him. Or hear him. And especially when we feel like he's not even there. Our epistle lesson today from the letter to the Hebrews goes through a whole litany of people from Old Testament history, those people that we might refer to as the heroes of the faith. All of them connected to Christ even though they have not yet seen that promise fulfilled. And what's important to note is that these heroes who are listed are not perfect people. In fact, the text tells us that. They are rather people who walk by faith, who operate by faith, even when they don't understand exactly what it is that God is having them to do or why God is having them to do it. Starts off with Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac, his only son. And knowing that God has promised Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations. And yet, you're asking me to sacrifice my son by whom this promise is going to be fulfilled? We know the story from Sunday school times. How Abraham, in faith, lays Isaac on the altar and is ready to slay him with a knife. Abraham, by faith, trusts that God somehow is still going to fulfill his promises. 
And we could go through the whole litany of all of these individuals here and we could talk about their flaws. We could talk about how Moses was a murderer and had to run away out of fear. We could talk about all of the flaws of Gideon or Barak or Samson and David and all the rest of them. Because we know that as they are born into this world that they are a sinful people. Just like you. And just like me. And yet God uses the fragile vessels of clay that we are, even with our cracks and our brokenness, he uses us to carry that precious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the encouragement here from, from the letter to the Hebrews is, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that is, those have, who have gone before us in the faith, that we too should lay aside all of the things that, that entangle us, that keep us from doing the very thing that God wants to do, which is living for the faith in this world. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that many have been raised to, to believe this, that, that somehow our culture has pushed this on us too. I'm not so much sure that it comes from the church as it does from culture, that our faith is to be a very private thing that we keep to ourselves lest we offend people around us. And so we fall into that trap very comfortably. Well, I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm going to keep my faith to myself. And we think that we are doing a good, right, and salutary thing. And that's part of the sin that entangles us. When you look through the reading of these heroes, you begin to see that they went through an awful lot being faithful to God. They were flogged and put in chains, imprisoned, stoned. And rather than recant their faith or believe in something else, they were, and I like that, you know, it's like sawn in two. Carl, that brings a whole lot of puns to mind you know think about that son and two it's hard to keep it together right I couldn't resist they're killed with the sword they're impoverished they're wearing skins of sheep and goats they're destitute afflicted mistreated and yet he says here that the world was not worthy of them. Because the world puts its value on so many other things. The world puts its value on living life on your own terms, being in charge yourself, doing the things that you want to do. Accumulating the wealth that gives you the excuse to do it. Our Old Testament lesson today 
talks about the fact that there are false prophets running around saying it's okay to live that way. Live life on your terms. It's okay. And they throw that false term in there that we hear today. It's okay because God loves you anyway. You can live how you want to. Contrary to God's word and contrary to God's will because, you know, Jesus still loves you. Talk about a manipulation of the gospel. The devil's really good at spinning those kinds of things for his own purposes. When God sets us apart in the waters of holy baptism and calls us by name to be his own, the scriptures remind us that he sets apart each of us to be different from the world, to listen to the call of God for our lives and to live a life that God places before us, not on our terms, but on his terms. To serve, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To live for him and no longer for ourselves. That's what it means to throw off everything that hinders and entangles because you see what God wants us to do is to run the race. To run the race with endurance on the path that he sets before us. Now, some of you might know this and some of you might have a little bit of doubts about this because I think I've mentioned it before, but I used to be a long distance runner. Really? I used to run between three and seven miles a day. What do you got to do to be a runner? You think I just jumped out of bed one day and said, I'm going to be a runner and I'm going to run three miles today? If I tried that now, I'd be lucky to make it to the doors. Right? You got to work up to it. You got to start training. That's how it was when I started running in high school. I had a cross-country coach. Coach, his name was his name was Morris Vogel. Love that guy. He used to drive around a Mercury station wagon, so we called him Mercury Morris. And and as we're running down the road in 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 in, in as a team, he would roll down his windows with the bullhorn stuck out of the car while he followed us and said. And you gotta understand the day and the age. This would be a little sexist today, but but he he'd said this back then. Okay, ladies, pick up the pace. And we'd run a little faster. And then we'd make it to some park with a great big hill, and he'd make us run sprints up and down the hill time and time again, and we're all going, Why are we running sprints? We're long distance people. And if you're familiar with the Denver area, he then started taking us out to Red Rocks Amphitheater and he made us run the stairs. Up and down. Up and down. Because you see, we were training for the race. 
our coach. The one we fix our eyes on. The voice we listen to is Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that is there to help us to train. Now, you got to understand this. He can't do the training for us. My coach couldn't get out of the station wagon and run to make me a better runner. I had to put in the work and I had to run the stairs and I had to run the steep hills and I had to pick up the pace. And he was there to love, to encourage, to rebuke, and to push. To push our team to be the best that we could be. And that's our Savior. He's there encouraging us to open up the Word, to be in Bible study, to listen to what He has to say, to grab a hold of it, and to run. To train for the race that He sets our feet on so that we can run in this world, bearing witness to who He is as the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Savior of the world. Because you see, we have a coach who pushes us to carry the gospel and to be like those heroes of old, not a perfect people, but witnesses to the truth of who God is and what he does in our lives and the lives of others. You see our coach, Jesus, He's the one who set the path before us. Because you see, he's the one who is the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. I love that, that line. He's the perfect one. He's the one who knew no sin. And yet this world despises those of faith. It despises the truth. And it sent Jesus Christ to a cross because it couldn't stand to hear the message of the gospel. But Jesus went there with joy. Because he knew what this action was going to accomplish. He knew that by dying on the cross, he was going to take away our sins. And that answer to every children's message question is the answer to every question in our lives as well. That we have faith and we walk by faith and we live that faith and we share that faith because we know what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And he faced it with joy. Even in the midst of struggle. 
It's because we misunderstand the word joy. Here is the same Savior who on that evening when he was betrayed was saying, Lord, I don't want to go through this. Take this cup from me. I don't want to face this. I know what's coming. I know the pain. I know the torture. This is not going to be pleasant. Take this cup from me. I know, Lord, this isn't going to be pleasant. If I hang on to this faith, they might cut me in two. They might put me to death by the sword. I might be destitute. I might be living in poverty. I might be ridiculed and persecuted and made fun of. I might lose my job. I might lose some of my friends. What turns Jesus' heart to joy? I believe it's these words. Yet not my will, but thine be done. When our lives are in the will of God, when we are on that path that he set up before us, then we fix our eyes on him and we know the joy because we know that no matter what this world throws at us, that by faith we walk with our brother Jesus Christ who laid down his life for our sins and who has renewed us and made us holy and righteous in his sight. And that one day we, like him, will be in heaven for all of eternity. He endured the cross despising the shame that was supposed to come to people who died on the cross. He was crucified with thieves and sinners. And yet the cross for us today is not an emblem of shame, but rather one of victory and understanding of what Christ did for us. And because of that, he is seated at the right hand of God, and we too shall join him there one day. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we fix our hearts on the cross of Christ, then we know no matter what this world throws at us that we will not grow weary nor faint-hearted because we know what the end goal is. You know why we were pushed to run those sprints up and down that hill to the limit of our endurance? It's because at the end of the race, our coach wanted us to be able to, in that last quarter mile, turn on the kick and pass those who are in front of us. To finish the race, not slowly, but with a burst of speed. My friends, listen to the coach. Set your hearts to training, growing in faith, and your ability to not only live by faith, but to walk by faith and to share that faith in this world. Grow in your ability so that you, with proper training, may not grow weary or faint-hearted 
but may in the face of an ever-increasingly hostile world stand firm and boldly for the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us and for all sinners. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the true faith of God in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.